They don't clap for me. I'll tell you that. <laughs> It's good. It's good to uh, finally welcome into our midst uh, Phil Falk. Uh, we've been praying about and for uh, Phil, you and your wife MC, as you were preparing to come into our midst, and uh, folks had an opportunity to meet you. We did a little uh, Zoom call interview thing, so we did some little bio on Phil. Um, so I wanted to as, we're, as you're starting your ministry here uh, at Hope, and hopefully it'll be a long one, uh, I wanted to give you an opportunity to share kind of your heart, your passion for students and student ministry. So why are you committing um, this part of your life to yeah. this kind of ministry? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, I just have to say, you guys have been awesome. Uh, we've moved here just two weeks ago, and we felt so welcome. We feel at home. Um, we're so grateful for everyone that's helped us move in, bring us food, do everything and anything that we have needed. Um, it's made it just super uh, easy for us. And so uh, we were talking the other day, we were like, we felt like we didn't even move. Um, <laughs> so we're just really grateful. And I just wanted to say that from up here, because I think that's important. And I uh, just appreciate um, all of you and each of you that have just been a part of that. So, so thank you. Um, but to answer Jeff's question, um, yeah, so I, you know, I love students, um, specifically middle and high schoolers. Kids are okay, but I love teenagers. Um, so parents, if you have one, send them. Come on. Um, but uh, it's part of it is personal. So when I was in middle and high school, um, I, I am not, would have been close to who I am without um, key adult leaders in my life who, who really paved the way, who helped me see Jesus more clearly. Um, who helped me understand what truth is in a world uh, where we don't know what is true anymore. Mm. And so um, that's number one, is it's just personal. And I love, um, I just think back to so many key leaders in my life who, who just made that difference. Um, and then I think second is, um, you know, I think students are not just the leaders of today, but the leaders of tomorrow. And I think more than ever, um, I just love their, their personalities, their curiosities, uh, their questions, uh, the questions that they ask the parents that the parents don't want to answer. I love those. Um, but I, I just think each piece about them is so unique. And I just think is part of how God uh, designs and, and has teenagers in that stage of their life. Yeah. And I just love being around that. And I just think there's so much uh, potential, so much in that, that um, God has just placed in them. And I want to help pull that out and help them, uh, again, just see Jesus more clearly and, and just be who he's created them to be. Mm. I'm going to be talking about influence in the message, and there is no more significant influence you can have than in the development of a young person's faith. Yeah. So yeah, we're excited about that, and for you, and for the folks who are going to be working with you, because you're going to be leading a team of volunteers. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and if that's something that you're interested in, by the way, uh, at least considering, thinking about, hearing about, talk to Phil about that. Um, and so we're coming out of this weird year, this pandemic year, where a lot of stuff was shut down, and uh, so we're beginning to uh, reactivate uh, uh, a youth ministry. Yeah. So what, what's in the plans for the next couple of months, few months? Yeah, so, you know, coming out of COVID, um, in, I don't know what it's like up here, but down there, um, you know, things are still kind of on the up, but we are just trying to have a lot of spaces this summer where we can just relationally connect. Um, so whether you've uh, been out for a while or you're kind of coming back or maybe you know a student or know a teenager, we're just trying to have a lot of spaces, a lot of different fun events that we're doing this summer to provide that for our students. So um, we're doing a lot throughout the summer. Um, I know that's on our website. A couple that I want to point out 
Um, if you do know someone or are thinking of connecting uh, some students, um, the first one is we're going to the shore on July the 7th. Mm. Um, so we're doing a day trip to the shore. Um, we're going to Hershey Park in August. Um, and then we're also doing an Olympics week uh, to kind of uh, celebrate the Olympics that are happening uh, in July. So we're doing some big things. We're doing lots of little small things. But again, really just the big vision, the big idea for the summer is we just want to be relational. We just want to build relationships with students, mm. uh, students who have been connected, students who maybe want to connect for the first time, um, or students who have been out of the fold maybe a little bit. So that's really what we're trying to do this summer and, and hopefully uh, have a little bit of fun while we're doing it. Nice. I want to go. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you don't want that. Nobody wants that. <laughs> Um, so, if somebody wanted to get in touch or, or to yeah. find out kind of in, in real time what's going on, how do they do that, Bill? Yeah, so there's a couple ways. Uh, I'd say one, um, we send out, I'll send out a weekly email on Mondays. So if you want to just, even if you're not, don't have a student or you just want to know kind of what's going on or seeing the crazy things that we're doing, um, you can email myself, phil at meethope.org, and I'll make sure you get on that list. Um, we also have a social media, um, at MyHopeYouth is the handle, and so uh, follow that, keep up with that. Um, and then we also have a, uh, a text, sort of a texting reminder thing that we do as well. So um, we can help get you connected. We want to keep you up to date. We want you to see what uh, our students are doing. So again, even if you don't have a student um, or you just kind of want to see what we're doing, we love to just make you a part of that as we um, just go throughout the summer. So those are just a few ways that uh, we can connect. That's great. So yeah. as you get started, and as, as uh, our youth ministry is, is in this process of reactivating, um, let's take some time right now and to uh, be praying for our students and, uh, and for our ministry as a whole. So let's pray together. Lord, we are so grateful that we get to participate in your work in this place. And Lord, we know that your work uh, involves the lives of children, of young people, students, all the way through every um, life cycle. And so we're grateful, uh, God, right now, today, for um, our student ministries, for the ways that this church has expressed a commitment to, a passion for, a love for uh, students, middle school and high school students, and the influence that this church and people who have worked with these students over the years have had on those lives. So God, I pray that as we um, welcome Phil into uh, our ministry team, onto our ministry team, that you'll be uh, blessing him, that you will be inspiring and guiding him, giving him wisdom beyond himself as he leads this ministry. Because, Lord, we know the impact that it will have on students' lives, not just while they're a part of the student ministry, but throughout their adult lives. I pray, God, that you would bring men and women around Phil and around this ministry who will share that passion, who share that desire to influence for Christ the lives of young men and young women. 
So Lord, we ask your guidance, we ask your blessing, we ask your direction. Um, We are dependent fully on you for every good thing. And so, Lord, we give you, again, thanks for bringing Phil into our midst and uh, look forward to the ways that um, this ministry is going to be a blessing to this community and to the communities all around us. And we'll be sure to give you the thanks and the praise always and in all ways. And all God's people agreed and said, amen. 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 Phil, God bless, man. We'll talk to you later. Thank you. Hey dads, we've watched you in the rough seasons, walking your family through whatever came knocking at your front door. Sometimes they're just ordinary problems, but you aren't any ordinary dad. You've led us with a steady calm that was rooted in a lot of prayer. You gave all the time you had and even the time you didn't. Dads, you stepped up, staying up late to finish work being the helping hand everyone needed on days that sometimes felt endless. You wrestled with online school, tackled homework you sometimes didn't even understand. You made sure we stayed connected to those we love. Dads, you stepped up and listened when we couldn't handle the circumstances of life. And found extra patience somewhere in your back pocket even when things boiled over. You led us through trying to understand what was happening in the world, while pointing us back to the Word of God as our source for hope and comfort. Dads, you stepped up and brought fun and laughter whenever you could. But you also showed us that it's okay to feel deep disappointment and loss. Dad, you faced every day with courage, even in the face of uncertainty, and spent more than one sleepless night without any good answers or assurances. But you always made sure we knew this one thing, that we are loved. We are loved by you and by God. Dad, we just wanted to say thank you. Thank you, Dad, for stepping up. So this is kind of a special Sunday for three specific reasons. One, this is the last day of spring. Probably didn't think about that, right? Tomorrow's summer begins officially, and so this is the last day of spring, so enjoy your last day of spring. It's also uh, the first weekend where we have a new federal holiday, Juneteenth, as we commemorate the ending of the scourge of slavery in our country. And so what an important uh, marker that is, and this is the first year that we mark that as a country, uh, Juneteenth. And then, of course, it's Father's Day, and so to you who are dads, um, happy Father's Day to you guys. And, um, you know, it's one of the things that I say, and, and even for us old guys whose kids are men, in my case, or you're maybe women, um, we still 
uh, play an important role in their lives. And uh, it's a leadership kind of role. And there is no more important role, no more important leadership that we exercise as, as men than uh, uh, mentoring and leading our kids, no matter what age they are. So speaking of leadership, I want to talk a little bit about that today. Um, leadership is required in any organization, from the largest organizations, billion-dollar multinational organizations, companies, all the way down to the family. And it's no less true for the church. Leadership is required. So what is leadership? I, if I boil it down to its essence, what I would say leadership is, is movement. Leadership is movement. That leaders move people from where they are to someplace else. So if you're leading a company, say it's a million dollar a year company, you may say, I want to lead this company to become a two million dollar a year business. And so then you exercise leadership to move in that direction. Maybe a leader says, I want to move the country from being a place where people are enslaved to being a country where every man, woman, and child is free. And so it's a movement. Or maybe it's a leader who says, I want to take these 12 ordinary men and lead a movement that is going to change the world and history for all time. Leadership is movement. So how do leaders work? And again, if I were boiling that down to its essence, how leaders work, I would say that the word is influence. That's not from me uh, in that case. A guy named John Maxwell, who's written countless books on the subject of leadership, says when he boils leadership down to its essence, the one word that he would use is influence, that leadership is about influence. And so today, as we continue this series we're calling Activated, it's a study of the book of Acts, we're going to see two different types of leadership. We're going to see a leadership that represents the kingdom of the world, and we're going to see a kind of leadership that represents the kingdom of God. All right. So in the kingdom of God, leadership is marked, I believe, by influence. So what is influence? Well, the dictionary definition for influence is this. The act of power of producing an effect without apparent exertion of force or direct exercise of command. You're getting an effect without using force or command. That's influence. And since it's Father's Day, I would say that that's how my dad led me. I don't have a lot of memories of my dad sitting me down and teaching me stuff. That wasn't really my dad's style. And he certainly wasn't a guy who was yelling commands and, uh, you know, aggressively uh, forcing me to do things and so forth. That wasn't really my dad's style either. The way my dad influenced me was by the way that he lived his life, and I observed him day in and day out uh, throughout the years of his life. And so I watched that in times of great tension and stress that my dad would use humor to kind of lighten the, the moment. 
that he kind of was even-tempered, no matter how challenging or difficult the days might be, that my dad was always kind of an even-tempered kind of guy. He had a tremendous work ethic, and he was a man of deep faith, though it was a quiet expression of his faith. And in that, in the way that he lived, he influenced who I was to become as a man. That's the way influence works. So this study of Acts that we're going to be doing, and specifically today, we're going to be looking at the 12th chapter of the book of Acts, and I'm just going to go through the entire chapter of the book of Acts, and we're going to see the contrast. So the kingdom of the world which is apart from the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the world, apart from the kingdom of God, uses as its leadership style something very different than influence. It's about coercion and force. The kingdom of God is about influence. So we're going to take a look at that now uh, this morning. So... And I'm just going to read some sections of Acts 12 uh, as we go through this. All right, so beginning with the uh, first four verses of Acts 12, this is what it says. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began a persecution of believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with the sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. So here's an example of the kingdom of the world at work using its power. So just a little background to remind you. A few weeks ago, you remember that Pastor Rick talked about how in Jerusalem, the church had exploded. Thousands of people had come to faith in Jesus, but it was exclusively in the city of Jerusalem. And they then came under persecution from the Roman government. And those thousands of Christ followers fled the city of Jerusalem and spread out across towns, villages, and cities around the region, bringing the good news of Jesus with them. But what we learn now is that while most of the Christ followers left Jerusalem, not all of them did. There was a remnant who stayed behind that included people like James, Peter, Mary, John Mark, several of these people who stayed behind and were under the constant threat of persecution. And so what we see in verse 3 of the uh, verses that I just read is a classic politician move, all right? He, Herod, executes James, and he discovers that in doing so, It made him popular with the Jewish folks in the city at that time. 
And so he says, oh, you like that? Great, let me get Peter next. He's the point leader, I know, for the church, so let me have him arrested. His plan was to then put him on trial after the Passover, convict him, and I'm sure then to execute him. So here's this guy. He's a dictator, right? Herod is the dictator. He has all of the power. But even dictators need the approval of people in order to maintain their power. And so what's going on kind of behind the scenes is the Jewish leadership who are really upset by this group of people who are claiming that Jesus is the Messiah, who they had uh, crucified but had now risen from the dead, they're really upset with this group and they want them decimated. And so they go to the dictator, to Herod, and they say, look, if you want us to keep peace in Jerusalem, you're going to have to help us get rid of these Christians. Otherwise, there could be riots. And so Herod, you know, being the politician, says, fine, if that's all it takes, I'll get their leader arrested, we'll execute him, and if we can kill off the leadership, then the movement will die. So the kingdom of the world's methods include coercion and violence and deception and force. That's how the kingdom of the world works. And yet think about that. Herod has all of this power. He is the law. He has transcendent wealth. He has the military power at his fingertips. And yet, even with all of that, he's afraid of this little group of Christ followers. So, pause there. I want to move now to verse 5. Here's what verse 5 says. So, Peter's been arrested. He's now being guarded by 16 Roman uh, soldiers. Verse 5 says this. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. Here's influence, right? So Peter's arrested. These folks who have really no power in the earthly sense are praying so let me ask you this question. When you are in the midst of a great challenge in your life, do you view prayer as a first step or as a last resort? Do you view prayer as a first step or a last resort? Do you believe that prayer is powerful? and effective. So the nature of prayer, right, is to petition God for things that we want or need. That's one aspect of prayer. It is also about getting aligned to God, getting your life, your will, your desires aligned to God's will and God's way. 
And so these folks are petitioning God on Peter's behalf. They want Peter to remain safe. They want him to be protected. They want him to be freed. And they want God to be guiding them in all that they do. And so they are earnestly praying for Peter. What takes place then in the next 12 verses of chapter 12 is really both amazing, it's a miracle, and it's also kind of funny. So these guys are praying. Meanwhile, an angel appears in the prison where Peter is, releases him from the chains, leads him out of the prison past these 16 guards, and walks him out to the streets of Jerusalem. While this is going on, Peter is thinking, oh, this is so cool. I'm having a dream. He's having this out-of-body experience. So he's experiencing it physically, but he's thinking this, of course, isn't actually happening because that's crazy. I'm having some kind of vision. Until he gets out into the streets, it's at night, he's out in the streets now of Jerusalem, and the angel leaves him. And now he's standing in the street going, oh my gosh, this actually happened. So he runs off to one of the houses of the people who he knows will be gathered praying for him. Uh, it, it's a house where Christ followers would meet in the city of Jerusalem. He runs off and he starts knocking on the door. The folks are there gathered. They're actually praying for him. One of the women from the group goes to the door. She looks out and she sees Peter. And she doesn't open the door. She runs back to the group and they begin having this conversation about who that might be out at the door. It can't be Peter because he's in prison that we're praying that he'll be released from. But anyway, he's in prison. And so they're having this debate about, you know, who could it be? And it gets theological. Maybe it's an angel. And they're trying to figure it out. Meanwhile, Peter is like, let me in, which they finally do. It's this beautiful illustration of how we as human beings respond when God actually answers our prayers. Like sometimes we pray and we do so out of some sense of duty and so forth and it's just, you know, a rote kind of thing, but we, we forget that God is actually responding to our prayers. And it surprises us when he does. And sometimes we don't even see it when he does until later when we think about, oh, you know what, that thing that happened, I was praying about that. I think we're living one of those experiences right now, friends. We are in, as you all know, in this unprecedented time. We went for 15 months as a church without physically meeting together on a regular basis unprecedented. None of us in our lifetime have ever experienced something like that before. And so as we were in the midst of it, we didn't know, what will the church be on the other side of this? Will there be a church? We have no idea. So we were praying, we meaning the pastors, the staff, I know a number of our folks were praying for the church throughout that time, that we would continue to be the church, that we would survive. 
The fact is, we didn't survive, we thrived. And we continue to thrive. We're not fully back. Everything's not normal yet. I mean, just look around. This is not a normal size. But online, those of you online, are the majority of the church right now. There are hundreds of people who are watching this online right now. We never would have imagined that. It is an answer. It's one of the ways that God answers our prayers. So we have these guys praying, you know, that God will protect Peter and so forth. God does that, releases Peter. Peter finally gets let in the house. They have a quick discussion, and then Peter takes off, you know, to, uh, to parts unknown at that point. And then the story shifts again. So from 18 to 21, we have a description of raw power of Herod. Finding out that Peter has escaped, they interrogate the guards, and then Herod has all 16 of the soldiers executed. And then we hear that there are two cities, Tyre and Sidon, who are sideways with Herod, sideways with Rome. And Herod is not happy about this. These two cities are dependent on Rome for food. And so the leaders of those two cities, it's, it's really fascinating. If you haven't read this, read chapter 12 because it's, it's raw politics, really. Leaders from those two cities are negotiating with Herod's chief of staff, terms of an agreement. And they finally apparently come to an agreement of how to resolve their differences. And so Herod then goes to these cities of uh, Tyre and Sidon, and uh, he is going to go there and deliver a speech. And so he goes to these cities, robed in all of the uh, authority, all of the glory, if you will, of Rome. And he goes to these cities, and there he delivers a speech. And then we'll pick up at verse 22. It says this. The people gave him a great ovation. <laughs> right? Wow, that was awesome. Do they really believe that? Or are they just hungry? We don't know. All right, they give him a great ovation, shouting, it's the voice of a God, not a man. Instantly, an angel of the Lord struck Herod with a sickness because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving glory to God. So he was consumed with worms and died. <laughs> Even the most powerful man of the most powerful country can't overcome worms, <laughs> right? Worms take him out. Power, you know this, you know this adage, right? Power corrupts 
Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Wealth, power, fame can give people a false sense of being in control. And history is full of stories of Herods who had tremendous power, transcendent wealth, and who used force upon people to get their will and one after another fall victim to their own insecurities, their own uh, egos. True leadership exercises influence. Look again at this definition of influence, right? The act or power of producing an effect without apparent exertion of force or direct exercise of command. You get an effect without the use of force or commanding people to do something. That's the nature of influence. One last verse. Check this out. Verse 24. Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread and there were many new believers. Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread and there were many new believers. How cool is this? All right? Against all of this backdrop of power of Rome, we see the church spreading through influence. So when we are sharing God's word, friends, when we are talking about what it means to be Christ followers, and we're living that out in the ways that we treat each other and in the ways that we respond to the world around us, we have tremendous influence. I need to get out of their way while they're doing this thing. This whole choreographing thing is kind of fun. I just found out this past week that Hope is among the 400 largest Methodist churches in the country. I, yeah, I guess. I had no idea. So what? Right? Well, here's the so what. That happens not because our goal was to become some large church in the country. Our goal was to share the good news of Christ in ways that people can hear and respond to, to live in authentic community together, and to be a blessing to the communities around us. That's who we are. That's the nature of our ministry here at Hope Church. And that creates influence. So the new way we're talking about our church is that we're one church with two expressions, meaning in-person and digital, 
and growing influence. It's not an influence that we might be growing. It's an influence for the kingdom of God. You are a person of influence. Whether it's in your family, in your business life, in your work life, in your community, and you are certainly a person of influence here. And together, we're having an influence on our world. Let's continue to worship.